However, when we look back at that early founding fathers era, a lot of times people in the marijuana movement You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. The Russ Belleville Show. The voice of the marijuana nation. It's like marijuana ought to be legalized. Good people smoke marijuana. Now, here's your host, Radical Russ Belleville. All right, good day, tokers and tokettes and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is Wednesday, February 8th, 2017, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. Welcome to the show. we got plenty for you on this Hemp Day Hump Day. And coming up on the show today, we will start with our cannabis news. In the headlines today, we're looking right here at the state of Oregon, where there is a new bill proposed and supported by Portland Normal that would protect the employment rights of marijuana-using consumers off-duty. So uh, we'll take a look at that in our news. In our cannabis focus today, we are going to take a look at Senator Jeff Sessions, who's likely to be approved as Attorney General. We've got our government at work with a review of the latest bills. Our guest today, Michael Kravitz from Veterans for Medical Cannabis Access. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis News. This is your Cannabis News for Wednesday, February 8th, 2017. Employers in Oregon would be prohibited from banning marijuana use by employees during their days off under a bill introduced in the Oregon Senate. SB 301 would make it unlawful for employers to condition employment on, quote, refraining from using any substance that is lawful to use in Oregon, end quote. Measure 91 legalized recreational marijuana in the state, but it did not affect existing employment law. The bill aims to amend a state law about the use of tobacco to include cannabis and any other substance that is legal in the state. But if a collective bargaining agreement prohibits off-duty use of such a substance, that rule would take precedence. A New Hampshire House committee voted to advance a bill that would make the state the last in New England to finally decriminalize marijuana possession. The legislation, HB 640, would reduce the penalty for possessing one ounce or less of marijuana to a violation punishable by a fine of $100 for first-time offenders. Subsequent law enforcement encounters within a period of three years would see gradually increasing fines. Under current law, low-level cannabis possession is a misdemeanor, punishable by up to one year in jail. On Tuesday, the House Criminal Justice and Public Safety Committee voted 14-2 to to advance the decrim bill to the House floor. The Wisconsin State Senate has overwhelmingly approved a bill that would make it legal to use a marijuana extract to treat seizures. The measure legalizes possession of cannabidiol oil with a doctor's certification. Chamber adopted the bill on a 31-to-1 vote Wednesday. Republican Senator Dewey Strobel was the only senator to vote against it. Parents of children who suffer from seizures say cannabidiol oil, which doesn't produce a high, can ease symptoms. Democratic Senator Chris Larson argued the bill doesn't go far enough, pointing out that importing the oil into Wisconsin would remain illegal. 
He tried to amend the bill to allow production of the oil in the state, but Republicans refused to revise the measure. The bill goes next to the Assembly. The NFL Players Association's Board of Player Representatives meets in March in Scottsdale, Arizona. DeMaurice Smith, the NFLPA's executive director, has said the union's leadership is preparing a proposal for consideration by the player reps that would lead to the sport's drug policy taking a less punitive approach toward recreational marijuana use by players. That proposal, if approved by the player reps, would be forwarded to the league, which also would have to ratify it for marijuana-related changes to be enacted under the sport's collectively bargained drug policy. The NFLPA's proposal regarding recreational marijuana use is to come while the union separately studies the potential benefits of marijuana as a pain management tool for players and whether it believes that such use should be made permissible. Israel could be on the verge of expanding its significantly small medical marijuana industry in a significant way. In the span of 10 days, the country, known for its history and expertise in medical marijuana research, has seen a flurry of policy moves in the areas of technology development, decriminalization, and the potential export of medical cannabis. Establishing an export market could generate upwards of 1 billion shekels, or $267 million U.S., in new tax revenue for the country. Member of Knesset Yoav Kish, the export bill's sponsor, told the Jerusalem Post, The advancement of the export legislation comes less than two weeks after the country's public security minister endorsed decriminalization and the agriculture ministry pledged investing millions of dollars in 13 medical cannabis research projects. A three-year-old Irish boy with severe epilepsy has been asked to leave his preschool for using cannabis oil for treatment. Tristan Ford, age three, from Dunmanway, County Cork, was the first person in Ireland to be legally allowed to use cannabis for medicinal purposes. The youngster, who suffers from Dravet syndrome, was enrolled in a preschool by his mother, Yvonne Callahan, last month. However, Yvonne received a registered letter to her home this week, stating there was no longer a place available for Tristan at the preschool in Bantry. This has been your Cannabis News for Wednesday, February 8th, 2017. I'm Russ Belville. In the interest of fair and balanced journalism, the Russ Belville Show presents the anti-drug public service announcement of the day. These ingredients used to make crystal meth cost about $30. But the real cost is much greater. If you see suspiciously used items like these in your neighborhood, call 574-LMPD. This has been the Russ Belleville Show's anti-drug public service announcement of the day. Exclusively on RadicalRust.com. When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The law office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, FiredUpLawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. 
That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com. You're not high. You're listening to The Russ Belleville Show. If the price of the pot matters, you're smoking too much pot. Okay, maybe you're high, too. Warning. It's taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they aim you to say that. You're a loony. A public service message from the Rust Belleville Show. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, we're taking a look at the United States Senate, where they are currently at this moment debating the nomination of Jefferson Beauregard Sessions to be our next attorney general. Uh, Checking a look at the live stream right now, Tim Kaine, the senator from uh, Virginia, is currently speaking with regards to that uh, nomination. Let's take a listen in real quick, see what uh, the former vice presidential candidate has to say. Administration, I believe that independence is even more necessary. I oppose Senator Sessions, who is a friend, who is someone I respect for this position, because I believe his record raises doubts about whether he can be a champion for those who need this office most. And it also raises doubts about whether he can curb unlawful overreach by this executive. And with that, Mr. President, I yield the floor. That's Senator Tim Kaine speaking live on the floor of the United States Senate at this very moment as the senators are discussing the nomination of Jeff Sessions. Now, uh, the news on this last night was pretty shocking. Uh, I was I saw this happen live. I couldn't believe I, I saw it. Senator Elizabeth Warren was in front of the uh, uh, podium speaking to the Senate, uh, voicing her opposition to uh, Senator Sessions' nomination. And she began to read from a letter by Coretta Scott King, the widow of Dr. Martin Luther King. Understand that Jeff Sessions had been nominated in 1986 for a position with the uh, federal uh, a federal judgeship, basically. And when he was nominated for this federal judgeship, it was pointed out that the man had quite a racist past as the attorney general of the state of Alabama. And Coretta Scott King's letter goes into detail about how Jeff Sessions uh, opposed the Voting Rights Act and opposed uh, basically threw roadblocks in the way of African-Americans who were trying to vote uh while he was the attorney general of Alabama. And these allegations against Jeff Sessions back in 1986 were so damning that he was rejected for that federal judgeship. Now, some of you listening may not have been alive in 1986. I sure was. It was my freshman year of college, actually my sophomore year of college. Uh, we had just put in the blue turf at Boise State. And if you were too racist for 1986, that's really saying something, because this was a time when you could still make the movie that had, what was it, uh, uh, Pretty in Pink, that had the long duck dong character, the most racist Asian character since uh, Mickey Rooney back in the, uh, uh, what was it, Diamonds or Girl's Best Friend? What was the movie that was? Anyway, old 50s movie. Uh, 60s? 
Not sure. Anyway, you could still have movies like Long Duck Dong. You had that 1986 movie, and, and Samantha Bee did a great job pointing this out, uh, uh, Soul Man, where uh, a white guy, C. Thomas Howell, plays the whole movie in blackface. The whole point of the movie is that he's painting himself black to get an affirmative action scholarship. You could be that racist in a movie in 1986, but Jeff Sessions was too racist for 1986. And yet now it appears he's a lock to be confirmed as our nation's next attorney general. Now, this Jeff Sessions is no friend to marijuana. We have mentioned before how he has his uh, famous uh, uh, quote that good people don't smoke marijuana. Here's a look at some of the things that Senator Sessions says. And this is an ancient history, folks. This goes back to April. <laughs> this was a hearing that went on last April about uh, international narcotics control. And the discussion began to uh, get into how uh, the um, basically how uh, uh, the Obama administration was not paying serious enough attention to what was going on in uh, Colorado and Washington state when it came to uh, marijuana and, and it being legalized. And Sessions was very adamant about how the federal government was making a huge mistake, how the Obama administration was not standing up against legalization, wasn't uh, doing anything to try to keep uh, the states from uh, legalizing, trying not doing anything to thwart them from uh, moving ahead on marijuana legalization. So this was a, a very serious uh, session that took place. Let me give you some of the audio from that. So you can just hear from his own mouth what Jeff Sessions thinks of marijuana. Mr. Wagner, the issue is bigger than technical matter we're discussing today, in my opinion. This is a huge, huge issue. I was United States attorney when President Reagan was elected in the early 80s. Half the high school seniors in America had used an illegal drug. Uh, that over 12, 15 years went to less than half that, less than 25%. Would you say that was a, an advantage, a health advantage to young people in America, that drug use declined? I will stipulate that uh, certainly less drug use is better. All right. Uh, what about marijuana legalization in Colorado? Did you take a public position on that? I do not take public positions on political issues. I, I, I think generally that's a bad policy for U.S. attorneys. Uh, we try to maintain our role as the enforcers of law, I've not the been there. I know the tension on that. But in the past, uh, uh, U.S. attorneys, drugs are, has opposed it. Does President Obama oppose states adopting legalization of marijuana? I, I don't know exactly what, what positions he's taken with respect to Colorado well, that's and a, Washington. A terrible comment. But the United States attorney that works for the president of the United States not know whether he opposes or favors legalization of marijuana. He certainly has said some things that indicate he thinks it's a very little problem. But these data show that it is. Uh, so you got this huge increase in um, marijuana-related emergency room visits. This is as obvious as night following day. You make more marijuana, more available. Uh, you basically say it's not very dangerous and that young people have a right to participate with it. And uh, others 
older people do too, you're going to have more problems. Wouldn't you agree? I, I, I certainly think that uh, increases in marijuana use are, are bad. And for public health, I totally agree with that. Uh-huh. And I think there's been an increase uh, recently, Our certainly here in uh, out in Sacramento, my district, uh, our focus is on opioid and heroin uh, increase, which has been quite uh, quite uh, an unfortunate upturn in overdose uh, prescription pills. I know in the Sacramento area, just in the last ten days, we've had nine people die from fentanyl uh, overdoses, uh, and that's fentanyl something which we are heroin or just fentanyl. Uh, just no, not heroin. They are apparently a prescription uh, drugs that have been laced with fentanyl, uh, and we, that is uh, something that we've been spending sort of. Well, that's a the last huge issue, weeks. but I just, just from my experience in dealing mm-hmm. with, uh, we need to set a nationwide, we need a nationwide understanding about problem. This is very real. Are you aware that the American Medical Association just last year issued a report that hammered this idea that mar- marijuana is not dangerous? And they were particularly concerned about the mental impacts it has on young people. Are you familiar with that? I, I, I am. I, do you I've have any that. doubt about that? No, I, do, I don't have any doubt about that, Your Honor. Did the drugs are of the United no. States of America make any uh, opinion, express any opinion to, marijuana, to Colorado about possible dangerous impacts of uh, marijuana legalization? Colorado. I, I, I know the drug czar has been quite articulate about some of the dangers associated with marijuana. In fact, um, uh, Mr. Botticelli, when he was uh, just before he became drug czar, came out to California with us uh, and participated in some marijuana enforcement operations where we uh, went up into the North State, flew over some uh, some uh, very large marijuana grows uh, in the course of our operation. So I know he's been quite committed to supporting us. In fact, he supported an expansion of the HIDA. Us to do more enforcement in our district on marijuana? Well, um, what I want to just say to you and those who might be listening is it's far more important than just um, details of whether federal prosecutors start prosecuting marijuana cases in Colorado. Colorado was one of the leading states started the movement to suggest that marijuana is not dangerous. And we're going to find it, in my opinion, ripple throughout the entire American citizenry. We're going to see more marijuana use. Not going to be good. We're going to see more other drug use, illegal drug use, also damaging. I mean, we need grown-ups in charge in Washington say marijuana is not the kind of thing that ought to be legalized. It ought not to be uh, minimized. That it's, in fact, a very real danger. Uh, You can see the accidents, traffic deaths related to marijuana jumped 20%. These are the kind of things that we're going to see throughout the country. And you'll see cocaine and heroin uh, increase more than it would have, I think, had we not talked about it. Well, um, is there any sense that Colorado might reevaluate what they've done? I know that there is a lot of discussion back and forth between the U.S. Attorney's Office and uh, uh, the state authorities in Colorado about um, issues that we're seeing, issues that we're concerned about. Um, And uh, I understand that the state authorities have been 
uh, receptive to our concerns. I don't know the details of, of what they're doing about them, but uh, citing some of the data that uh, Senator Grassley uh, presented earlier, we're concerned about that data, and we're talking to Colorado about it. I know the same is true in California. Well, I hope you'll speak out. I yeah. mean, you're, you're able to, as a citizen of Colorado, say you think this is dangerous. I work with it every day. I see the uh, danger and damage it does, and I think the president needs I think one of his great failures, and obvious to me, his lax treatment. One of his big failures. I experimented with marijuana a time or two. Russ Belville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest growing business association in the fastest growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel One on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. Yeah, I'd just like to thank you for being the cannabis crusader out there. You're a trusted voice in the industry, so keep doing what you do. Oh. I really appreciate it. You can find Radical Russ online everywhere. Warning. It's taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. That sucks. I hate... Yeah. <laughs> A public service message from the Russ Belleville Show. Reforming America's marijuana prohibition laws takes education, lobbying, and voting. From Washington, D.C. to your state capitol to your city hall, marijuana law reform involves all levels of civic life. Learn how you can make your impact with elected officials as we take a look at our government at work. Today at Government at Work, we're going to take a look at some of the states that are moving forward on marijuana reform legislation. In Georgia, we've got a couple of bills to talk about. Uh, first of all, Georgia is one of those states that already has a limited medical marijuana law, what we like to call a CBD-only law that allows uh, certain patients to get cannabidiol oil, the non-psychoactive constituent of cannabis. Well, that limited medical marijuana law could be expanded to include autism. Currently, it uh, deals mostly with seizure disorders, epilepsy and such, but uh, this could be expanded to include autism under Senate Bill 16. Uh, it passed Tuesday out of the state Senate committee, but some medical marijuana advocates are opposed to this bill. The CBD bill or the CBD law currently in the state of Georgia allows the CBD oil to have a maximum of 5% THC. And this is pretty unique among the uh, CBD only states. Most of them allow, you know, less than 1%, even 0.3% THC, basically, you know, industrial hemp levels. Georgia's was uh, better than most in allowing 5% THC. This Senate Bill 16 that would add autism would reduce the allowable amount of THC from 5% down to 3%. So it's a very difficult political trade-off. You want to add autism, but you don't want to lower that THC level. That would uh, harm a lot of the patients who need it. Now, uh, par parents who uh, have children who take this cannabis oil testified 
that the 5% THC is necessary. If, they low, if it's lowered to 3%, it could have a devastating effect on their kids. Now, the uh, state senator who is sponsoring this is Ben Watson, a Republican out of Savannah. He's also a medical doctor. And he said that this rollback, the uh, reduction down to 3%, was in response to some concerns over the law from senators. And uh, it allows patients to have up to 20 ounces of this cannabis oil for cancer, Parkinson's, epilepsy, and five other conditions. And too many of them are afraid that with the 5% THC, it may somehow be abused. Uh, I can assure you this is ridiculous. Nobody in the adult use market is looking for 5% THC. There's another bill, a much broader piece of legislation to expand the list of eligible illnesses. That's being considered currently in the House. Uh, House Bill 65 is expected to be moved forward today. Representative Alan Peake, the Republican from Macon, is leading this bill. He's in the House Medical Cannabis Working Group. It would expand the list of illnesses to include Alzheimer's disease, autism, HIV AIDS, intractable pain, post-traumatic stress, and Tourette's syndrome. Then another bill in Georgia, Senate Bill 105, is a decriminalization bill that has been proposed. This would uh, subject people possessing up to a half an ounce of marijuana to a fine not to exceed $300. Uh, if it's between half an ounce to two thirds of an ounce, it would be a misdemeanor, 12 months and $1,000 fine. Now, moving on to other states in the uh, state of Utah, another state, in fact, the first state to pioneer the cannabidiol oil laws, uh, they are looking to expand medical marijuana research in the state. House Bill 130 passed 70 to 2 in the Utah House, and it's been sent to the Senate. The sponsor of the bill is uh, Representative Brad Daw, a Republican from Orem, Utah. He argues that the states have done it backwards when it comes to medical marijuana. Usually they legalize it, and then they do the research. He says his bill gets the order right, that, quote, good data makes good decisions. Let's get some good data so we can make good decisions, end quote. Well, if you get the good data, then Utah is bound to be moving forward with medical marijuana. Some of the other states involved in marijuana reform currently, uh, the state of Arkansas. This is a, a terrible bill that has been filed in the state of Arkansas. House Bill 1451. You know that Arkansas just passed its medical marijuana law. No home grow, very strict conditions and so forth. A very strict medical marijuana law. This bill, HB 1451, uh, has been drawn up to prevent members of the Arkansas National Guard from acquiring medical cannabis cards. As a former National Guardsman myself, I am appalled by this as if our National Guard, especially those serving in Arkansas who who may have done some uh, uh, active duty time in in uh, the theater of war out there in the Middle East, in Afghanistan, in, in Iraq, these people could benefit from the pain relief, from the post-traumatic stress relief that you get from medical cannabis this bill would prevent them from doing so. In the state of New Mexico, Senate Joint Resolution 19 has been filed to allow the voters to decide on a constitutional amendment for the personal possession and use of marijuana. Full-on legalization state of New Mexico being proposed as a legislatively referred constitutional amendment. 
in the state of Hawaii, House Bill 836 has been filed. This is a bill that would allow the inter-island transportation of medicinal marijuana products. This is something that's unique to Hawaii in that uh, trying to get medical marijuana from one island to another involves federal transport in some way. It's either going to be federal airspace, you know, FAA jurisdiction, or it's going to be on the water, uh, jurist, uh, nautical jurisdiction. So uh, a very important bill here in Hawaii to help the patients there and help the providers be able to move the marijuana from island to island. In uh, the state of Minnesota, two Democratic state lawmakers have int- will be introducing bills to legalize recreational marijuana in Minnesota. These bills aren't expected to go very far with the uh, Republican-controlled legislature. And finally, in the state of Kansas, a Kansas lawmaker, Senator David Haley, a Democrat from Kansas City, is planning to introduce one bill for medicinal use of marijuana in Kansas, another one to legalize adult use. And again, uh, the bill may not make it far, but Haley's optimistic. He says the Kansas legislature has become far more moderate since the November election. All right, stay tuned when we come back. We've got Michael Kravitz on the line talking about PTSD for medical marijuana in Colorado. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. Say yes to your life. And when it comes to drugs and alcohol, just say no. All right. You're high, too. Warning. It's taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. Or at least they aim you to say that. Dude, Hello? dude, 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 dude. A public service message from the Rust Belleville Show. Activism begins with act. The Rush Belleville Show features the stories of hardworking grassroots activists working for an end to prohibition in today's activist agenda. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Today for the activist agenda, we are joined via Skype by Michael Kravitz, one of my favorite activists out there who is uh, with Veterans for Medical Cannabis Access. And uh, Michael, are you hearing me okay? I can hear you just fine, Russ. Oh, fantastic. Glad to have you on the line. And uh, we were talking earlier today and had such a good discussion that I wanted to bring some of this uh, to our listeners. And most uh, prominently, we were discussing the addition, uh, potential addition of post-traumatic stress as a qualifying condition for patients uh, in the state of Colorado. And the question that comes up is, well, if marijuana is legal in Colorado, why do you need to add post-traumatic stress? Can't veterans and soldiers get uh, what they need now under legalization. 
Well, uh, yes and no. I think that uh, you know each of these strategies reaches a different population. One, number two, we have different medications, different uh, strains, different uh, products in the medical cannabis market, and the the commercial market uh, doesn't always love the non-commercial products products that we need for vets or other patients, maybe a niche, might not be such a big patient population, big demand as to make it, uh, you know, fit into the supply and demand regimen. And then finally, you know, an issue that's come up uh, recently is what about those who are not over 21 that suffering from post-traumatic stress? Uh, how do we deal with that? And the medications that suck for adults aren't even approved for young people. Oh, good point. A lot of people don't recognize that we have that uh, difference when it comes to the, uh, uh, the, uh, the medical cannabis access in the state of Colorado in that the, uh, folks that are, uh, recreational users don't get the same, uh, particular, uh, strains. They don't get the, uh, the same selection as they do, uh, if they're on the medical side, correct? Yes. There's going to be a slightly different list. And may be a lot of vets that are able to just go in, show an ID, get cannabis over the counter and do great. And that's fine. Uh, but uh, our organization really likes the idea of doing this under doctor's vision for post-traumatic stress. Now, uh, how, how is that battle going there in Colorado? Is there, does it look like it's going to, uh, to make it through? Cause I understand that, uh, the folks from project Sam were there trying to uh, spread some disinformation. It's been it's been a fascinating journey in Colorado. We've been fighting this now for like seven years to try to add post traumatic stress as a qualifying condition, and it really does boggle the mind that we're still fighting so hard. Uh, and and against what? I mean, what do the mostly like psychiatrists, the American Psychiatric Association, that's really led the charge over the years. Uh, really, at times, taking a very very proactive stance in opposing us, blocking us adding this qualifying condition and it seems really out of character to just you know if you can already access it legally, what they're really fighting over is just uh the being able to use it under doctor's supervision <laughs> yeah and and why would that be uh less safe than just using it recreationally well yeah why would they that at all in fact the the psychiatric community has to look at cannabis as anything other than a drug of abuse and representing veterans, you know, we have a pretty conservative point of view. We don't really take uh, uh, much problem in looking at uh, cannabis uh, as as a plant and certainly as an herb. But also, certainly, we can look through the eyes of the psychiatric community, what they see when they look at it as a drug of abuse. There's a, a big book on their desk about cannabis as a drug of abuse. It fits into a poly drug abuse uh, profile. People labeled substance disorder for using cannabis and uh, given medications to help them break, break that cycle of addiction. Um, all that's true. We're not discounting any of that, but you weigh that against the positive medical benefit in an area where you have very little medications. Medications that are on the market actually are, are going to increase the risk of suicide in many cases. You know, it's a no brainer. Yeah, it's crazy when I see when I hear those uh, ads for antidepressants that say may cause suicidal thoughts. <laughs> That's like exactly the wrong uh, side effect for the type of drug that we are prescribing here, don't you think? I mean, that's the, the bottom line, I think, is that you need a full toolbox, whatever it is that may help for medical condition, it might be 
uh, you know, the cognitive behavioral therapy that they talk about, the counseling, maybe uh, mindfulness training, Buddhist uh, mindfulness training. They're, they're employing that in the VAs these days. Uh, maybe a service dog, maybe cultivating a plant. You know, they're looking at, looking at cultivating cannabis as an occupational therapy. And mm. uh, all these things seem to have a place. You can't discount one and throw it out, especially in an area so void of good pharmaceuticals as uh, post-traumatic stress. Now, the uh, information that you sent to me earlier today coming out of Project Sam was pretty shocking uh, because we've, of course, talked to many veterans on this show about their use of cannabis to treat uh, post-traumatic stress, and they they rave about it. But uh, according to Sabet, there's some sort of study out there showing a, a greater degree of suicide risk for veterans who are using cannabis to treat post-traumatic stress. Uh, this is pretty new stuff, but what can you tell us about it? This is an old game, though. It's a game where uh, people like uh, Kevin Sabat take uh, uh, some sort of uh, piece of data and cherry uh, pick it and put it up uh, out of context, correlate you know, the correlation, uh, they turn into a causation. In other words, they try to make it sound like this is actually caused by cannabis out there in the world, when in fact, they're just citing cannabis showing up. And in fact, when I showed this to our colleague, Brian Crum, uh, he was quick to point out that the, the, they're implying a result that would be very contradictory to the actual result we're seeing in our in our experience. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the reality of it is that if you use cannabis, a lot of different circumstances, military being one of them, you're very likely to be labeled a substance uh, person, a uh, so-called cannabis order sufferer. Been looking at that those letters all day long on FDA paperwork, other paperwork. This uh, cannabis use disorder, once labeled, puts you statistically at a higher risk of suicide. Now, what does that tell you? If I just tell you like that, you say, "Oh well, gosh, probably people out there that are trying to medicate uh, their symptoms with cannabis. And maybe if we get them into a program where they have better access to cannabis products, um, might be able to do them you know, a lot of good." certainly don't want to target them for some sort of uh, uh, denial of service attack. Seems to be the implication that uh, Kevin Sabet wants to draw. That's such a shame. We're speaking with Michael Kravitz. He's the uh, director of Veterans for Medical Cannabis Access. And uh, Colorado is one of the states that's talking about adding uh, post-traumatic stress. A lot of the most recent states that have adopted medical cannabis laws have added post-traumatic stress to their uh, condition list. So that's good news. Uh, Michael's also... Uh, hard at work at the international level, uh, dealing with the UN and the various drug treaties. Do you have any updates on what's happening internationally for us? I actually can't remember where we were at in our conversation there, <laughs> but uh, we've actually this year finally broken somewhat of a barrier in that we've got the process started at the health organization review, an internal kind of regular process review of the evidence base of the treaty. This is uh, not an unusual thing. Uh, and especially given that process was done in 1935 that we're updating, uh, it's way, way, way overdue. I mean, it's hard to even call it overdue. It's uh, such an understatement. And we had been just trying to get the World Health Organization to conduct a, a critical review of cannabis. That would be the type of review that the expert committee on drug dependence at the World Health Organization would look at all the available evidence in a very logical and very systematic way, 
make recommendations based on the current evidence uh, for changes in the treaty to make the treaty fit to the to the evidence and to the purpose and uh, make those recommendations. Then the World Health Organization would make those officially to the process of the World Drug Program, the Commission on Narcotic Drugs, who then would uh, act on those recommendations. And that's a fight in and of itself to get the world to actually act on the recommendations will get another political battle. I think we're ready to fight that one. The one that we weren't really ready to fight was with the World Health Organization to get them to do their job, to just get the review. And uh, for the last few years, that's what we've been trying to do. This year, they put on their docket next year, within the next 12 months from us talking today, uh, they are set finally pre-review cannabis, which is the identical process as a critical review. But unless the pre-review dictates, there will be no critical review. This is it. They're finally looking at it. And this process will dictate uh, kind of the terms of our ability to work within the process. On if, they, if they can't get this together, if they can't uh, you know, update the materials based on the current evidence and get that process going, then it's a lost cause, frankly. But it, I have a lot of hope in the World Health Organization. They've acted uh, with a lot of integrity in a lot of areas. Uh, there's been some places where politically they've backed down find a couple of reports that actually never saw the light of day, really, because of political pressure. One on cannabis, comparing uh, cannabis with alcohol to see which one was safer. You don't want to let the results of that to get. <laughs> and another one with uh, cocaine. cocaine study that paired cocaine with other substances, well, came up with a politically undesirable outcome and it was censored. So, you know, uh, putting those couple of instances of censorship aside, the World Health Organization has actually been a champion of ketamine uh, access, has fought very hard against efforts by China and others to make ketamine a controlled drug, saying that if you put ketamine on a list of controlled drugs and you schedule it, then you will make it harder for people to access and people to die. Even little birds and little reptiles that need this as a, as a medicine will die uh, in the most horrible way they'll die. And and uh, they're right. It's fantastic that they're championing the cause. And we have model how maybe perfect world they'll champion our cannabis cause as well michael kravitz you've always got such great information for us and uh, we'll keep uh, checking in with you from time to time to see how things are going and uh before we go though i want to make sure people know how to get in touch with you if they want to help support your mission or learn more about the issues we've talked about the best place to reach us uh, veterans for medical cannabis access uh, on facebook uh, ironically uh, it's easy find the Facebook page through Google, I think, uh, Veterans for Medical Cannabis Access. And we update that uh, routinely with uh, things that we're doing around the country. We're working hard in Colorado. We're going to continue to follow this bill through the Senate side now. We have a senator that is backing it who's a medical doctor and a great uh, House uh, side uh, uh, representative as well that are really working hard to uh, get this through. And if you're in Colorado, you'll definitely follow our updates. And uh, we'll see you around. All right. Well, Michael, thanks so much for calling in today. And uh, good luck with everything you're doing. We wish the best to you. Thanks, Russ. All right. Take it easy, folks. And uh, we'll be right back with time for the Radical Rant. We are going to go off today on the idea of uh, Donald Trump and his uh, recent remarks to some sheriffs that prove he is the old school drug warrior I thought he was. Be right back. Stay tuned. Or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate. 
estimate for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. I do support the use of medical marijuana, and I think even there we need to do a lot more research. Okay, well, maybe you're high, too. first 2015 adult marijuana prohibition came to an end in Oregon immediately over 400,000 adults who consume cannabis responsibly were no longer criminals and I this is what freedom sounds like brought to you by Portland North I think we made a mistake to leave the state. Negative reports coming out of Colorado. Don't smoke It's time for the Radical Rant. Jump the gun. I'm so excited about this one. And it comes to us by way of a transcript that I found of the talk that uh, President Trump had recently with some county sheriffs. Now, most of the news outlets that are reporting on this uh, have reported on his joke that he made where he said he would destroy the career of a Texas state senator with whom he disagrees on immigration policy. What was less reported was the remark that led to Mr. Trump's joke, and that was that this particular state senator was attempting to undermine civil asset forfeiture. That's that drug war tactic where the police take people's cash and their possessions on the suspicion, but not the proof, just the suspicion that they were gained through criminal drug activity. And in the discussion, Mr. Trump seems incredulous that we might want to ensure someone's guilty before taking their stuff. Here's here's from the transcript. The participant says, Mr. President, on asset forfeiture, we got a state senator in Texas who was talking about introducing legislation to require conviction before we can receive their forfeiture. The president replies, can you believe that? The participant says, And I told him that the cartel would build a monument to him in Mexico if he could get that legislation. Who is that state senator? Want to give his name? We'll destroy his career. Okay, thank you. That was the destroy the career remark the president made. But it was because this state senator wanted to require people get convicted before we take their stuff. (laughs) Now, many of these articles that I've been writing lately have talked about how under the Trump administration, I predict we are going to return to previous levels of drug war law enforcement. 
And a lot of my readers are disagreeing with me. Uh, they say, oh, Donald Trump, he's for states, right? So he's, he's a hundred percent for medical marijuana, he said. And, and, and he's a businessman. He's all about money and entrepreneurship and, and marijuana is too popular and the marijuana industry is too big and so forth. Well, I talked about this yesterday. I'm no expert on the presidency, but John Hudak from the Brookings Institute is. And last weekend at the Virginia Cannabis Conference, he explained how you're insane. If you think the marijuana industry is too big and too popular to be a target of Republican wrath, he pointed out how if what was popular set what the policy agenda was, we'd have, quote, comprehensive immigration reform and universal background checks for guns that 62 or 63 percent of the Americans support legalization means nothing to the president of the United States. And as far as us being too big to attack, Hudak says, quote, Your industry is small by any metric of American capitalism. You are a speck of dust in a clutter of dirt of American capitalism. The president is planning to repeal the Affordable Care Act. If you think that hospitals, doctors, and the pharmaceutical industry are small enough to be shaken down by the president, but the cannabis industry is too big to face the same challenge from the president, once again, you're insane. Well, now as I read more of this transcript to you, Based on the president's talk with these sheriffs, I'm more convinced than ever that a drug war reboot is coming soon. In Mr. Trump's opening remarks to the sheriffs, he, re- he mentioned, without naming it, the expansion of providing naloxone, that's the opioid overdose cure, to law enforcement. But then he jumps right to hyping the supposed link between Mexican drugs and American crime. This is from the president. I just want you to let you know that our job is to help you in law enforcement and we're going to help you do your job. We're going to expand access to abuse deterring drugs, which a lot of you have been talking about. They're out and they're hard to get. Stop the opioid epidemic. We've got to do it. It's a new thing. And honestly, people aren't talking about it enough. It's a new thing and it's a new problem for you folks. It's probably a vast majority of your crimes or at least a very big portion of your crimes are caused by drugs. Of course, Mr. Trump is using alternative facts when he claims that a vast majority or a very big portion of crimes are caused by drugs. According to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, quote, in 2004, 17% of state prisoners and 18% of federal inmates said they committed their current offense to obtain money for drugs, end quote. So that's not a vast majority or a very big portion. So is he referring to that or is he referring to the crime of possessing the drugs themselves as well as the actual crimes that drug users commit? Well, that doesn't represent a very big portion or vast majority of all arrests either. According to the FBI's Uniform Crime Report for 2015, there were 10.8 million arrests in America and only 1.5 million of, of those were for drug abuse violations. So maybe, maybe he's adopting the talking points of the National Council on Alcoholism and Drug Dependence, which claims, quote, alcohol and drugs are implicated in an estimated 80% of offenses leading to incarceration in the United States, end quote. Now, the only problem for that is if you go with that, you've got to adopt their position that, quote, Alcohol is a factor in 40% of all violent crimes today, and, quote, about 3 million violent crimes occur each year in which victims perceive the offender to have been drinking, and, quote, 
Half of all homicides and assaults are committed when the offender, victim, or both have been drinking. End quote. The uh, National Council on Alcoholism and Drug Dependence goes on to say that, quote, among violent crimes, with the exception of robberies, the offender is far more likely to have been drinking than under the influence of other drugs, end quote. And when it comes to other drugs and crime, quote, many illegal drug users commit no other kinds of crimes, and many persons who commit crimes never use illegal drugs, end quote. Let's go back to the remarks by the president, because uh, he continued to talk about the scourge of drugs. This is Donald Trump. We're going to have to stop the border. We're going to have to stop. We're not going to have the drugs pouring from the border like they've been. We will work with you in supporting your longstanding efforts to strengthen the bonds between the communities and the police, which is very important. And it's sort of a new phenomenon to a certain extent. It's happening more and more. And some great results out when you can strengthen the bonds. We're committed to securing our borders to reduce crime, illegal drugs, human trafficking, especially in the border counties. We have a lot of border counties represented. So listen closely when he says the drugs are pouring from the border because according to the U.S. Customs and Border Patrol in 2009, they seized over 2,000 pounds of heroin, 6,000 pounds of meth, 135,000 pounds of cocaine, and a whopping 4.3 million pounds of marijuana. So drugs pouring over the border, it's mostly cannabis. President Trump said, so we're going to be very tough on crime. We're going to be very tough on the drugs pouring in, and that's a big part of the crime. We're not playing games. We're stopping the drugs from pouring into our country and poisoning our youth. <laughs> tough on crime. Well, getting tough on crime is how this drug war started in the first place. Back in 2012, The Atlantic published a piece explaining just how President Richard Nixon turned compassion for the addicted into contempt for the criminal. This is from the Atlantic quote, shifting the conversation away from eradicating the causes of crime and focusing solely on punishing the criminal. The law and order president was able to do two things. First, Nixon exonerated the white middle class from responsibility for the drug related violence ravaging the inner cities. Second, he transformed the public image of the drug user into one of a dangerous and anarchic threat. To American civilization. Shifting public perception in this way ultimately served to reinforce the necessity of Nixon's drug war. Once addicts were no longer seen as sick victims of a society that systematically excluded them, no one would mind when they were being locked up. In fact, incarceration was for the nation's own good. End quote. Here's some more from the transcript of the 45th president of the United States, Donald Trump, sounding a hell of a lot like the 37th president, Richard Nixon. The president is talking to Sheriff Mahoney. How much of your crime is caused, do you think, by the drugs generally? 80%. 80%. So without the drugs, you would have a whole different ballgame. I have a jail over a 1,000 beds. 80% suffer from chronic drug and alcohol addiction. 
Another participant pipes up. Mr. President, I hate to interrupt. It used to take 90 days to take a load of heroin from the border to get it into the country. Now it's taking 14 days. President responds, okay, well, we'll have it take infinity, okay? And then there's some laughter. Mr. Trump also signaled again that the push to end the abuse of civil asset forfeiture is over and will be returning to swiping innocent people's stuff to enrich police departments. This is a discussion between some participants, a sheriff, and Mr. Bonte, uh, Dana Bonte, one of the uh, president's advisors. Mr. Bonte begins by saying, I'm aware of that, Mr. President, and we have gotten a great deal of criticism for the asset forfeiture, which, as the sheriff said, frequently was taking narcotics proceeds and other proceeds of crime. But there's been a lot of pressure on the department to curtail some of that. Trump responds, so what do you do? In other words, they have a huge stash of drugs. So in the old days, you take it. Now we're criticized if we take it. So who gets it? What happens to it? Tell them to keep it? Bonte. Well, we have what is called equitable sharing, where we usually share it with the local police departments for whatever portion that they worked on the case. And it was a very successful program, very popular with the law enforcement community. And now what happens? Well, now we're just been given. There's been a lot of pressure not to forfeit in some cases. Who would want that pressure other than like bad people, right? But who would want that pressure? You would think that they'd want this stuff taken away. Sheriff Aubrey kicks in. You have to be careful how you speak, I guess, but a lot of pressure is coming out of was coming out of Congress. I, I don't know that that will continue now or not. Trump responds. I think less so. I think Congress is going to get it beat up badly by the voters because they've let this happen. And I think badly. I think you'll be in back in shape. So asset forfeiture, we're going to be back on, okay? Thank you, sir. I mean, how simple can anything be? You all agree with that, I assume, right? Absolutely, yeah. Do you even understand the other side of it? No. You shouldn't be allowed to profit from the illegal proceeds. So if you're going to sell narcotics and sell illegal drugs in our country, you also cannot profit from that. And so we seize the profits. So do we need any legislation or any executive orders for that, uh, would you say, Dana, uh, to put that back in business? Bonte responds, I don't think we need any executive orders. We just need some kind of encouragement to move in that direction. Trump responds, okay, good. You're in charge. I love that answer because it's better than signing executive orders and then these people take it and then they make it look so terrible. Oh, it's so terrible. I love it. You're encouraged. Thank you. Good. Asset forfeiture, you're encouraged. Okay. Yes, sir. So if I may paraphrase John J. Hudak, if you think that following the confirmation of Senator Jeff, good people don't smoke marijuana sessions as attorney general, that a return to the drug war isn't happening, you're insane. You can check out that entire article on weednews.co if you want to get all those quotations on asset forfeiture and getting tough on drugs from President Trump. We're going to follow up on the Jeff Sessions nomination, see where they're at right now in the U.S. Senate. Coming up in Hour 2, a terrible story about a hamster on acid. That's right, a hamster on acid and how the British media is reporting on it. For everyone here at Delta 9 Studios in beautiful legal Poutland, Oregon, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for Hour 2, and until next time, take care of each other, tokers. 
This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a scene, you manage, you grow it, you try it, you